0: Having a good time going through these things called legends, and uh, how many of you, you? Well, I'm not even going to ask you because you, you just probably say you like it, but maybe you don't like it. But I like it. I like it. What we did? We just took uh, we just took all the staff members, and then we threw in Rick Zachary with us, and we said, Hey, look, let's let's get a message on a on a on a legend. And lets everybody just share from campus to campus. And so we've been traveling around. Last week, I was in Long Beach, and next week I'll be in Wiggins, and you know Rick was here last Sunday, and I don't even know who's going to be here next Sunday, but it's going to be good. OK? And so uh, we've just been picking out these legends, people like Joseph. I know Pastor Casey is in, in Long Beach uh, talking right now about Joseph, and we had uh, you know we've got uh, Ruth. You know, we picked up Ruth and then Paul, and I'm going to share with you about Saul. And this is King Saul from the Old Testament, not Saul before he was the Apostle Paul, although that would be a good legend to talk about. And uh, I wanted to start with 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 8, because I know that uh, we as a church, we, we love edifying scriptures, we like to be built up, and so I thought I'd just pick this and launch this message with this, it's sort of edifying. It says, the next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the body of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of the Ashereths and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Beth-shan. And everybody said amen. I mean, you know, that was just like sarcastic. It's not really edifying scripture at all. But Saul has been dead a long time ago, so don't mourn Saul's death. You know, as a matter of fact, God told Sam, and said, don't mourn about Saul, go anoint David. So we're not gonna worry about that. But we're gonna look at the life of Saul. Because what I wanna get across to you today is, how do you go from being the king of Israel I mean, you know, that's God's nation. How do you go from being the top man in God's nation to having your headless body nailed to a wall in a pagan temple? How do you go from a, a, a trophy of God to, to a trophy of hell? How, how does that happen? How do people get off? What, what is it about that? And, uh, and, and so we're going to share that with you. We're going we're to help you to see that, that. There, there is a, a way that God wants us to go, and there's a way sometimes that we go. And uh, Saul was no different. The thing about Saul is that he had a call from God. He was called by God. He was hand-picked by God. I mean, that's a tremendous thing to be hand-picked by God. And the story starts where Saul, his dad, was a rich guy. He had a bunch of livestock and some... some Donkeys got away and ran away and so his daddy Kish said, Saul, I want you to go and I want you to find our donkeys and take with you a servant and y'all go and find them. And so they they like took off down O'Neill Road and got to 49 and took a left and no donkey and went down all the way to the beach. And man, ain't no donkeys there. I took a right, went all the way to, you know, uh, Long Beach. No donkeys all the way to the pass. Way over, you know, all the way to the bay, all the way over to Waveland, man. They up in Waveland and it's like, man, still no donkeys. We can't find these donkeys. Maybe they are in Socia, I don't know. Maybe they went to Perk, I'm not sure. We're looking all over the place. Surely not going to Biloxi, not going that way, but they're going this way. But, but they couldn't find them. And even to the point where the servant said, you know what, hey, we, 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 I don't know if we're gonna find them not. And Saul even said, you know, I think dad's gonna start worrying about us rather than the donkeys. And then the servant said, but you know, there's one more chance we've got. There, there, I know in this area, there's, there's a seer, there's a prophet. And, and they say that he knows a lot of stuff and, and, and everything he says comes to pass. And so I, I bet he knows where these donkeys are. So if we could find him, we could find the donkeys. And so they go looking for the seer. Now freeze it right there, just hold that, and then let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15, because now the Lord is speaking to Samuel. Samuel is the seer, he's the prophet. He speaks to him, and he told him this, he told him this the previous day, the day before, Saul and them are, are there looking for him. He said, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him to be leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people, In mercy and have heard their cry. And when Samuel saw Saul, Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then, Saul approached Samuel. So you understand, God is speaking to Samuel, said there's going to be a man coming tomorrow. And so now, now pick the story back up. Saul and his servant, they're looking for Samuel. They come up in there, and when, Saul, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? He said, man, I'm the seer. I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the seer. He says, this is what he told, he told Saul. He said, go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat together there, and in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And then he just added, I just love the way God just adds in he these, and don't worry about the donkeys uh, that, that were lost three days ago for they have been found. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. Isn't it, it amazing that, you know, you know, that God is so precise in what he speaks? Years ago, nine months before we came to this church to pastor, there was a prophet in our church and, and he preached, and then he called me up to the front, and he said, you know, you have a wife, and then Jan came up. We both came up together. And he began to speak words over us. And, and Jan had been kind of struggling, you know, as new moms do, wondering if she was a good mom. Matter of fact, our conversation the night before was simply, you know, I'm not sure I'm a good mom. I said, well, baby, I think you're a good mom. Yeah, I don't think I'm a good mom. You know, I'm not a good mother. I don't know. And so this prophet, he begins to speak to us, and he says, in three and six months, I will send you out with a word. Three and six months. And so he prophesies all kinds of wonderful things. By the way, nine months from that day, we walked into this church to pastor it. So God knows what's going on. All right, watch this now. This is what, but you know what's cool? You know, you know what's really cool? And, and so we started to walk away and he said, oh, by the way. And he turned to Jan and he said, uh, Lord just wants you to know that you're a good mother. Let me tell you something. God knows where your donkeys are. Come on now. You understand what I'm saying? He knows where your donkeys are. Man, you get a word like that, it's like, come on with it. you know. And God is so good. And so God knows where the donkeys are and God knows where Saul is. The thing is that Saul was looking for donkeys, but God was looking for a king. And sometimes we're looking for donkeys and things and jobs and all that, and we don't realize God's looking for something a lot bigger than what we're looking for. And we need to be aware of that all the time. You need to be aware. You need to be aware of what God is speaking and what God wants to do with you, Amen. Come on, look this way everybody, look this way. Come on, look at me, look at me. Okay, there you go, all right, here we go. So, so here is, is Samuel, now, now the thing that happened from there, Samuel said, I want you to go over here. And then Samuel did something privately to Saul. He did something privately in the 10th chapter. Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it over Saul's head and he kissed Saul and he, Saul, and he said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler of Israel, his special possession. So God goes in private, and God does something for Saul in private. Can I tell you that the the best things that God will do for you, he will do in private, in your private life. As a matter of fact, if there's nothing going on in your private life, your public life is just sort of like a sham. It's like just a shadow. It's just like... A reputation, maybe something. It's got to be something going on in your private life. And right here, I just love the way God did it. Samuel, come on here in private. Now, God wants you to be king, and he pours all on his head. Got a lot of people pulling all over their head, and they they ain't done nothing in private. And then later on, then Samuel brings Saul out in the open. In the 22nd verse, they're looking for Saul, you know, where's Saul? You know, Saul, what's going on? I mean, they want, Samuel wants to anoint him publicly. And so they're looking for him, they can't find him anywhere. And so they ask the Lord, where is he? Where's Saul at? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. Not much of a king, huh? But that's all right. He's hiding among the bags. And so they find him and they they bring him out and he stood a head and a shoulder above everyone else. He was a good looking dude. He was the best looking guy in all of Israel, the Bible says. And he's a head and shoulder taller than anybody else. So can't you see that big old tall lanky dude just coming out kind of shy, just kind of walking, you know, humble. I love humble people. I love humble people that God does something private in their life. I love humble people who have it all together where they go, they love God, they're humble, God anoints them in private. Jesus said this, he says, what God does in private, he will do publicly. He sets the order right there. And so they bring him out. And they, they the, the, the Samuel said to all the people, this is the, the man the Lord has chosen as king, uh, as your king. No one in Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king, because they wanted a king. See, God wanted to be their king. God has always wanted to be his people's king. God wants to be your king. But we choose all kind of kings. They wanted a man. They wanted a king like the pagan nations that were surrounding them. They said, we want what the world wants. We want what the pagans want. And you know, it's still the same today around the church. I'm amazed how people won't go God's way. They want to go the world's way. They just want to to do that. They got that. I want that. They got that. I want that. And isn't it amazing that God said, if you'll seek me and my righteousness first of all, if you'll do that first of all, I'll add to you everything that everybody else is running after. I mean, what God is looking for, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for order. He's he's got an order. God is a God of order. And so private, publicly, everything's right. The private you is the real you. The private you is the real you. The private you is the real you. And when God starts something privately in your life, Jesus said he'll finish it. We've got promises that says God will finish what he began, and he wanted to do that with Saul also. So, you know, you would think Saul's been anointed king privately and publicly. You'd think he'd just move on into the king's house, but back then they didn't have a king's house. They didn't have all that stuff that we got today. He didn't move into the White House because he got elected. There wasn't any White House. So where did he go? He went home. And when he went home, he went back to plowing with two oxen. I mean, that's what he did. So they're plowing. You know, I I think Kish, his father, had some good uh, standards. They were rich. They had money. But guess what? Saul was plowing in the field. I like that. He wasn't sitting on the back porch drinking sweet tea. He was working up in the field. Work, you kids. Make them work. Quit giving them everything. Quit entitling them to everything. Make them earn something. Bring some order into their life. So, Saul, he's just plowing away. And some people come to him. And they tell him the story of what's going on. They said, You know, there's a king, Nahesh. He's over here. He, he's, he's king of the Ammonites. He's over here. And he's gouged out the right eye of a whole bunch of our countrymen, you know, because they couldn't fight. Once the eye is out, you can't fight. Can't shoot a bow. Can't throw a spear. Can't hurl a rock. You can't fight. So, but there's 7,000 of us that have not gone through that trauma, but the, but the king is saying, I'm going to do it to all of you. And he said, we told him that if, you know, get this, hey, king, uh, you can gouge out our right eye if somebody doesn't come help us. So, we've come to talk to you, Saul, about what we will do. And, you know, the wonderful thing about it is, is that Saul was, he was plowing with two oxen Watch this. There's a demarcation in Saul's life here, and there has to be a demarcation in all of your lives. What he did with his two yoke of oxen, he took those two oxen and he hacked them to death and hacked them in pieces. You never see Saul going back and plowing with oxen again. He hacked them up, and then he sent them out to all the people in the surrounding neighborhoods and the surrounding communities, and he said, if you don't come help us, this is going to happen to your ox. Now, that's a man, you hear me? I like that. You say, oh, it's too violent. Let, let me tell you something, women. Let men be men. Let men be men. Let men go out and just shoot them squirrel, bust them up real good. Let them shoot them deer, knock them down and skin them in the woods and, and, and cook them over a fire. Oh, this is a poor little deer, poor little deer. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Shoot that deer, kill it dead. Let men be men. Let boys be boys. Let them get all scratched up, tore up, ticks biting them all over, red bugs everywhere. Let them cut their head. Come on, come on, let, them, let men be men. Saul hacked them in two. I tell your mamas, you better quit feminizing those boys. They got to marry a woman one day and a woman wants a man. I want no little sissy up in there with the little sissy stuff up in there. Ooh, the bathwater's a little too hot. Now my, my, my soup's too hot. <laughs> so watch what happened to Saul. Guess what? Everybody said, we come and help you. We come and help you. We need to try that for church attendance. <laughs> We're going to hack your dog in pieces if you don't come to church. <laughs> Saul was handpicked by God. Now watch here. Look, he was empowered by God. 11th chapter 6 verse. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. In other words, something rose up in him, man. His man, his God manhood, his, his calling, just pow. And they went and they whooped that army real good. They tore them up real good until not two men were together. They took running through the the bushes in the forest And, and God gave a great deliverance to Israel that day. But Saul was filled with the Spirit. He was empowered with the Spirit. Can I say something to you? Every one of you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the power of God. And you can never do anything great for God until you're filled with the power of God. Why would God tell, why would Jesus tell his apostles, those that he handpicked, to wait at Jerusalem until they would be filled with power from on high? Why would he say that if they didn't need to be filled? And they needed to be filled. Why? They needed the power to be martyred. They needed the power of God on the inside of them to be witnesses, to be martyrs for Christ's sake. You need the power of God. There's too many people defeated in the church. I can't get over this, pastor. I just, I can't quit smoking that little cigarette. Just get full of the Holy Spirit just get full of the holy spirit i i just i just i, I can't be so mean to my husband i just I, my wife i she, i just, Well, just get full of the holy ghost And quit trying to understand everything with your brain and just open up your heart and watch when God floods your heart. What happens? He filled him. He empowered him. And I believe it's essential for us today to do that. And now Saul is on top. He's handpicked, called by God. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on him. He's got power. He's got conviction. I mean, he's got strong conviction. I mean, he knows he's a warrior king. He understands that everybody hates Israel that he's surrounded by enemies all the time, so he's a warring king. And so what happened to him? What transpired in his life? What transpires in a person's life who once was on fire for God, loved God, would weep during worship when you talked about the blood and sang about the blood, who gave their tithe and their offering and served and loved and wanted and was obedient to to the vision and just said, what happens to people? How does it happen I believe we're going to see right here in Saul's life. I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 a couple of verses. It says, These things happened to them, the Old Testament saints, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. We're at the end of the age. You're living at the end of this age. We're not at the beginning of this age. We're not in the middle of this age. We are the end of this age. I'm not saying we're at the very, 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 very end, but we're at the end. We're over the hill. You're, you're there. So we're listening to this. So we're learning from Saul. Yes, we're going to get some academic about Saul. We're going to understand some things about him. But more than that, if it doesn't apply, if it doesn't come on side of you, you understand what I'm saying? If it doesn't touch you, It's just a story about a man a long time ago. So how did he fail? What happened? I think number one, what happened to him, that he was impatient. Saul was impatient. Samuel told Saul, he said, Saul, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and wait for me seven days and I'm gonna come and I'll offer sacrifices. And then once we offer the sacrifice, we're gonna do war. Because that's what they did. They did war. And so we pick it up in the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, just like he said just like he had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. So Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this that you've done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you were supposed to. Come on. And the Philistines were, went mishmash and, and they were ready for battle. And then he says, uh, you know what? I, I haven't even asked the Lord for help. So I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings myself before you came. You'd think that would be good enough. I think, you know, if I was God, I'd say, oh, well, I can understand. You know, he got afraid. You know, this happened, and and Samuel was late. I mean, he missed the bus, I don't know. His donkey got slow, I'm not sure. But that's not what what happened. Samuel just walked right past Saul and said, what you have done is foolish. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. What a blow. Not, not two chances. I mean, one chance. Aren't you glad you're in the New Testament? One chance. You're done. You're done. Why is it? He was impatient. His downfall started with impatience. Why do people... Why are they so impatient? Why, 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 do, why can't people wait a little while? Why, why can't we wait? America's in debt. Why? Because we can't wait. People are in debt over their heads because they can't wait. They can't wait to save up enough money to buy a car or to buy some shoes or to go to the movies. We've got to charge everything. You know, why are we so impatient? Why are we so impatient in finances? Why are we so impatient in relationships? Why do we think we've got to get married? I'm 22. If I don't hurry up and get married, I don't know what's going to happen. Last weekend, last Saturday night, we were in Louisiana in Gonzales doing a wedding for our nephew. And, uh, and at the reception, uh, you know, it's a bunch of Cajuns. So what I'm getting ready to say, only Cajuns can handle this. You know, I mean, you know, if you're from Missouri and a Cajun does it, you probably get all messed up, you know. But Cajuns can talk to Cajuns uh, in a way that's a little bit different. And so we're, we're talking to people. We're meeting people that know people that we knew and a long time ago. And we're just having a good time. You know, you never meet an unfriendly Cajun. And so I'm, I'm talking to this table of people, and, and one woman said, well, uh, they went to the wedding, so they knew I was a pastor. How long have you been a pastor? I said, well, I've been a pastor about 30 years, you know, and I'm like, okay. Well, and then finally one woman pops up, she says, I need you to pray for me. I said, well, okay, well, what, what you got? And She said, I need a Boaz. <laughs> how, many, how many of you know what a Boaz is? Well, a Boaz, you know, yeah, Ruth got a Boaz. You, you heard Pastor Mike speak about that a couple of weeks ago. I said, "You need a boaz." Now, now, this only Cajuns can say this. I said, "Well, you need to wash yourself up real good, and go find yourself a boaz, and lay at their feet, because <laughs> that's what Ruth did, right?" Naomi said, "Get cleaned up and go lay down by that, that guy's feet. What? Well, nothing sexual about that. Just lay down at his feet." And so she laughed. We like, "Well, I was walking away, and, and you know, I mean, you got to be ready. You know, I mean, you'd be looking for a donkey, but God's looking for a king." And so I'm just walking away. I said, "Man, I had a thought." I said. This might be God. I don't know. I said, hey, I got a word for you. I think I got a word for you. I said, I'm just gonna tell you, I said, I said, when you're waiting for your boaz, make sure you don't settle for a bozo. You know, I just said that. You know, might be speaking to somebody in here right now. Look at look the guy on the right, right side of you. Is he a bozo? No, I don't look. But, but, and, and, and I thought, well, that's stupid. Why did I say that? I mean, you know, but it's Cajun. You can say stupid stuff with Cajuns and get away with it. I mean, it's like, yeah, dude, that's your right, bozo. cool, Puffy hair, you know. She turned to her friend, boy, and she just looked with laser. She says, my goodness. She said, I've been messing with a bozo for the last 17 months. <laughs> I think I just broke up that relationship. Thank God, go get you a bozo. But people, a bo- bo- bozo but people will settle for a, a bozo. I'm astonished, how many bozos in the house? Raise your hand, no, don't no, raise your hand. You know what I tell every young man right before we get on the platform to get married, I said, you still have time to run out the back door. I tell every one of them, hey, you know what, I'll drive you. If you're not positive sure right this moment that you wanna marry that woman that's getting ready to walk down that aisle, Let's go, me and you. We'll just leave right now. Won't even tell nobody. Don't marry a bozo. Don't be so impatient that you take second best in marriage, relationships, business relationships. You understand? You should make sure that the person you, if you're going to get in a business relationship, that the person has a private life that is impeccable. I don't care about their public life. So Saul is there. He's motivated by impatience. And when you're motivated by impatience, you make bad choices. The second thing about Saul in his downfall, the next step downward, was fear. Now, you all know about the story of Goliath, don't you? David and Goliath. And Goliath is a, is, a, is a giant of the Philistines and every morning he comes out, you know, they got the battle of raid, you know, the Philistines here, Israelites here and he comes out in the valley and he just, he just rails on them every morning. You bunch of losers, I'm bigger than you. You know, you stupid, where's your king? I beat anybody up, just send anybody out. Come on up and all, every day, every day, every day. And the whole Israelite army, including Saul, they're all messed up. They're all tore up. It says that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I mean, they were messed up, you understand. Just hearing that guy, you know, same thing every day. You loser, you loser. Some of you hear that every day. You loser, you loser. And if you're in fear, you just sit. They're paralyzed. And then what Saul has to do, here's the warring king. What Saul has to do is Saul has to, Send a boy in the game to do a man's job. He sends a little boy named David. And you know the story. Throws the rock guy down and cuts his head off his own sword. You know that. And and, and, and he wins. But this thing about fear. Now why would Saul be so, why would he be so afraid? I mean, he just routed out armies. This is why. Very important here. Very important. 16th chapter, 14th verse. Now, The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, had left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. A tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Now that messes with our theology, I know, but I'm just reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit left Saul. He had no spirit left. When the Holy Spirit leaves you, you have no spirit left. You only have your flesh and most of us in the flesh we scared we chicken most of us you know we act like we big but wait till wait till somebody banging on your door at 3 a.m i mean banging bam 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 you 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 say honey go see what that is (laughs) you tell all your buddies "I, i was gonna get my gun but i sent my wife instead when the spirit leaves And then there's a tormenting spirit was on him. Now, you know what was happening simultaneously in all this, and you need to read all this because I can't teach you all this in one time. You know what happened? Watch this. In the 13th verse of the 16th chapter, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You see, back then, the spirit just lit upon people. The spirit of God is on Saul. God takes the spirit of God off of Saul puts it on David, gives him a trembling spirit, a fearful, trembling, depressing spirit. David's got the anointing. Saul doesn't. Saul's full of fear. It's the same, it's the same reason in Psalm 51, after, after David messed up with Bathsheba, when he was praying, he said, Lord, do not, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves. He knew. He was with Saul. He saw Saul. He knew the results of God leaving a man, abandoning a man. and when, when, I'll tell you what, right now, when you turn your back on God and you walk away, he stands still. And I have seen over the last 30 years people who have left God and their life just turned to shambles. Now, they leave God long before they leave the church because we're proud people. But I can tell when somebody's left God. And sometimes you just have to wait and you have to wait and pray for them and believe that they're gonna to come to their senses and choose God again to serve him before they serve in the church. Because you can serve in the church and not be serving God. It's very easy. You just show up and serve. This is what happened. Fear comes in. And then it's just, it's just progressive from there. It's like a downward spiral. He gets into what I've labeled disobedience and deception. Because watch, watch this. Saul is then told, God tells Saul, go and utterly destroy the nation of Amalek. I want you, that is what he said. I want you to kill every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every animal. Kill everything there, totally annihilate them. And so Saul, he gets the, the army up and going. They go there, they whoop them good. They whooped them down. Let me tell you something, man. When you talk about gore, it was bad. And so Saul comes back. The problem with Saul is that he didn't kill the king of Amalek. And he didn't kill the best of the animals. He saved them. He comes back to camp. Here comes Samuel. Samuel was always coming to check on Saul. As a matter of fact, when the prophet came into your town, you would send people out in the Old Testament and they would ask the prophet, have you come for good or evil? Are you bringing us a good word or are you bringing judgment? That's what they would ask. And so here's Samuel walking up O'Neill Road. And here he, we run out to the church say, and Saul said this, he said, I have carried out the Lord's command, Samuel. I've done it. And there again, I just I just could see Samuel just walking right past Saul, right past his shoulder. He said, "Well, if you've done the commandment of the Lord, then what is it that I'm hearing here? What what am, I'm hearing? Animals, sheep. I'm here. And and who is that guy sitting underneath that tree? He looks like a king to me. He looks like a king." I've kept the commands of the Lord. See, he was disobedient, and he was deceptive. He was deceived. He did not keep the commandments of the Lord. He did not. He did not. And you know what Samuel did? These people were, these people were, oh. Samuel, the prophet evidently held a sword, because he drew his sword out, and he hacked King Agag to death into pieces. He carried out the command of the Lord. And this is what Samuel told Saul fifteen twenty-two. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, listen, Linda, listen, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you of being king. Saul said something in this this meeting that is just astonishing to me. And I just saw it in preparing for this message. I've been reading the Bible a long time. I just saw it this way. When, When Samuel asks Saul... What, is, what are all these sheep? What I'm hearing. He said, we have kept these sheep, Samuel, to sacrifice to your God. I never saw it before. You see, it used to be, he used to be the, the God of Saul. But Saul is in such deception, in such disobedience, in such fear and impatience. The Spirit of God is up, he says, We're going to sacrifice these animals to your God, not our God. Not the, not the God most high, the maker of heaven and earth. We're going to sacrifice them to your God. It's amazing how sometimes Northwood is our church. And then later on, the same people that said our church now says that church or your church when they're speaking to me because there's a change that takes place simply put we need to obey God because only hearing the word of God and not obeying the word of God leads to deception the scripture says in James chapter 2 it leads to deception so you're hearing the word of God every Sunday And, and and guess what we need to do the word of God or else we'll deceive ourselves And they got a whole lot of deceived people. So many deceived people. And so it continues. It gets even worse. It it gets worse. You say, how could it get worse? It gets worse because, you know, after David comes back from killing Goliath and and they've won the battle, you know what I mean? Because you killed the giant, you killed the champion, you win the battle. Saul and David are walking back up and they're walking down, you know, they're walking down three rivers. and, And some ladies in, you know, in wind song, they just come out. And they just, they're so happy that we've won the battle. And so they got a little songwriter up in there and they, they write a, just an impromptu song real quick. And they write the song and they're all out there. They got their ribbons, their banners, they got their tambourines and they just really having a good time. Their dancing shoes are on. And they say, it, they, they just start singing the song. Saul has killed his thousands and David is 10,000s. And he was just singing a little song. They didn't know, but Saul picked up. You know what he picked up on? He didn't pick up on that Saul killed his thousands. He didn't pick up that everybody was joyful and all that. He picked up that David killed more than him. They ascribed to David 10,000 and only me 1,000. Boy, it's so pitiful. You know where he was? He was caught up in insecurity and jealousy. Because I'm going to tell you something. When the Spirit of God leaves you, your security leaves you. And then you've got to play the flesh game. You've got to play the human game. Well, I'm better than him. I could do better. I could teach better. I could do this. I could do that. Let me tell you something. If you can do it, God will uh, will promote you. And if you can't do it, God will never promote you. And promotion doesn't come from the north or the south. It comes from the south or the east. It comes from the north. Promotion comes from God. God never chooses the smartest or the cutest or anything. Look at me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But he's, he's sovereign. He plucks out what he wants and he does what he wants with who he wants, when he wants, for as long as he wants. And when he's finished with you, he takes you out of the game. He's the best coach there is. Saul is just insecure. To the point where Saul tries to kill David. And even worse than that, Saul's son Jonathan is friends with David so he tries to kill Jonathan. He hates his daughter because his daughter is married to David. David. He plots to kill. He tries to kill. He can't kill. He's deceptive. He's insecure. He's full of jealousy. He's full of fear. He doesn't know any direction. He's lost. He's in trouble. Brings me to the next point. He's desperate. He's living in desperation. He's so desperate, folks. When we pick up the story where Saul is now going out to battle, the next day he has to go fight. Or the next day he has to go Plant corn or maybe with you it's operate on somebody or drive a truck or do accounting. The next day you've got, you've got to get up and you've got to go do something. But I'm in fear. I'm in deception. I'm in disobedience. I don't have the spirit of God. I'm impatient. But you still got to go. And so he's so desperate. Samuel now is dead. All, all, there's, there's no one to tell him what to do. He can't hear God because God has left him. And so you know what he does? Watch here. 28th chapter, 7th verse. Saul, he said to his advisors, this is what he said. Find a woman who is a medium so I could go and ask her what to do. Let me put it in words we can understand. Y'all go find me a witch. I gotta find something what to do. I don't know what to do. Go find me a witch. The sad thing is, is when the spirit of God was on Saul, when he was in obedience, living for God, working for God, doing his job, full of the spirit of God, He banned every witch, every medium, every soothsayer, every reader of horoscopes, every necromancer. All of them had to leave. You can't talk to the dead, God said. You can't go to a witch and find out what to do. The direction comes from the Lord. He banned every one of them. He said, if you do it, we're going to kill you. And now he's so desperate that he says, find me a witch. So they found him a witch. He disguised himself. He, he deceived himself. He deceived her. He, he, he went after her. He seeked direction from the dead. Very hard scripture to understand. Some people say it well, was Samuel. I don't believe it was Samuel. But anyway, you know, he says, call me up Samuel. So she, she, she's all messed up. She's afraid. She's screaming and hollering. It's a mess. The seance is going bad. But he gets a word from this thing, whoever he's talking to. And this was the word, tomorrow you will die. It tells me that we need to seek a word from the right place, tomorrow you will die. Do you understand impatience, fear, disobedience and deception, insecurity and jealousy, desperation, because in desperate times people make wrong choices. Never make a decision in desperate times. The witch gives him instructions and it brings us back to where we began. In 1 Samuel chapter 31 verse 6 it says, So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all of his troops died together that same day. And they cut off his head and they hung him on a wall with his three sons. That's how you go from the top to the bottom. And it all starts in your private life. Let's bow our heads together right now if you don't mind. Father, we've listened to your word today. We've worshiped you and asked for your presence to come. You've graced us with your anointing. You've touched our hearts, God. Your word is true. You never lie. You always instruct us properly. I pray, Lord God, right now for those in this room, your people that know you. I ask you, Lord God, to encourage them. I speak words of courage to them. We will not, we will not go our own way, Lord God. We will seek you. Father, we will seek your face. I thank you that you direct us. We'll lean not on what we understand. God, we'll draw near to you and acknowledge you and as you give us direction. Bless your church, Lord God. Encourage your believers. Amen. And while every head is bowed and every eye is still closed, I wanna talk to you in this room who maybe, you're like me, you might have a knowledge of God, but you don't really know him. I wanna give you opportunity. My job, the reason I'm standing up speaking today is to give you an opportunity to make the best choice of your life and that is to choose Jesus over everything else. The Holy Spirit draws people. You're in this room, I believe by design, divine design. I believe God knew before the world was ever formed that you'd be sitting in that one chair on that one row for this one day to hear this one message to bring you to this one place that you might make one decision to follow Christ. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to call you up front, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're ready to serve Jesus. Because when your heart opens to God, your hand will go up. You'll give your heart to him. I'll pray for you right where you are. pray with you. And when we pray, God will answer our prayer and he will touch your life and he will change you. Now every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If that's you, if you say, Pastor Van, I need a start in my life, I need to serve God. I haven't served him or I once did, but I've just been way out of bounds. If that's you, I wanna pray for you right where you are. Just shoot your hand straight up in the air. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Just shoot it high if you have it. Thank you. Yes, over here. Thank you. Thank you over here. Yes, sir. This is not a religious act. This is not an event. This is a surrender of you completely to your creator, to your Lord who died on the cross to pay for your sin, That's what this is. It's a glorious time. Before I pray, anybody else, you've been sitting there, you're right on the verge. Just shoot your hand up if you haven't already. Come on. Anybody else? I don't want to leave anybody else out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Now, just very, very simply, but this is very powerful. It's not complicated, but it's just giant. I'm going to help you pray to God the Father. He's going to hear you from His throne in heaven and God is going to forgive you of your sin and make you a new person right now. If you're ready to repeat after me, say, "Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sin. I come to you as I am. And I ask you to touch me. I ask you to save me today. Be my Lord. Be my savior." I give you myself completely right now. I repent of all of my sin and I choose you today in Jesus' name, Father, amen and amen and amen. Come on, Northwood. I'm excited about what you've chosen to do today. Come on.
1: The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, so we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor Van De Cody, wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website northwood.tv/locations for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv/give. You can give a one-time donation or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.